Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to be talking a little bit uh, about our role in domestic abuse prevention and intervention. But before we jump into that topic, I would love to remind you about PeaceWorks University. PeaceWorks University is our online membership community. And if you are benefiting from the things that you're hearing on the PeaceWorks podcast, well, PeaceWorks University is your best next step. Uh, It's chock full of resources that I know are going to be helpful to you as you attempt to address domestic abuse from a gospel-centered perspective. You can learn more about PeaceWorks University at chrismoles.org. Well, friends, you know, uh, among the most common questions I receive, pushback um, that I receive, is about my um, my friends, my alignments, my uh, groups and tribes that I call home. It is one of the most remarkable things to me. It's something that I'm still I still struggle with. I'm going to be completely honest with you. If you're listening and you're part of one of those tribes, or you are a friend of mine. I hope this resonates with you. I I struggle greatly with the notion that, um, or, or the thought that I'm somehow corrupting myself or the work by being aligned or being friends with uh, someone from a different tribe. Um, and it, it works in every direction. So if you're assuming that it's the other people uh, that throws stones, uh, you would be wrong. I'm just completely honest uh, from all directions, from my biblical counseling friends, why are you associated with um, therapists? And from some of my uh, intervention friends, why are you still associated with um, those conservative Christians? And from this group, why do you hang out with them? And from this group, why are you friends with this person? And I'll just tell you up front, I'm friends with a lot of people because they're my friends. And I really don't have a purity test for the folks that I, uh, that I love and that I interact with. And I certainly don't have the time, energy, or demeanor uh, to dismiss, dismantle, or um, undercut those people in a public fashion. That's just not how I work. But as I was thinking through some recent comments, again, about, uh, you know, why, why haven't you distanced yourself from this person or that person? Beyond the whole, what an irresponsible thing in my mind to do, why would I distance myself from people that I love? The other thought is, you know, what do my friends and all of these different tribes bring to the table? And, you know, the one that may surprise you, the one tribe, the one group that I kind of get the most pushback on, is the one that I'm most closely aligned with, and that is biblical counselors. And I thought perhaps today on the podcast, it would be helpful just to let you listeners know why I think biblical counselors may be positioned best to address um, aspects of this work. And I actually do believe that. And I think there's all kinds of reasons to be hopeful for biblical counseling in this work. And I know there are stories and there are some horror stories out there, ones that we have, 
you know, addressed privately in certain groups. We've um, certainly worked with individuals who've been burnt or hurt by biblical counselors, um, but it's also fair to say that we've worked with people who've been hurt or, or cases that are mismanaged by therapists, and certainly uh, the list of cases mismanaged by the courts um, you know, probably trumps all of them or dwarfs all of them. So um, I do understand that for some this is going to be difficult to hear. You really think that biblical counseling uh, can be positioned to help uh, cases of domestic abuse? And I just want you to, to hear the rationale why and why I'm hopeful for biblical counseling. And the one area that I think we are best situated to help if, if we're willing to learn, um, exercise a great deal of humility, and practice the things that are central uh, to our tribe and to our value system. And that is perpetrator work. I, I actually think overall, and you've probably heard me say this, counseling is not Counseling is a response to domestic abuse. It's not the response to domestic abuse. And I think there has been um, at least enough said from us here at PeaceWorks and many others in the work that there has been culturally just too much of an emphasis placed on counseling as a cure-all for domestic abuse. Domestic abuse is um, absolutely contains relational problems, but it's also a cultural problem, a societal problem. It's also a problem that has so many ripple effects that it does require um, a much broader response. That's why we promote what we call a team-based response to domestic abuse. And counseling alone uh, has rarely been effective in addressing all of the demands or complexities of domestic abuse. We certainly would want to caveat what counseling looks like and who receives what type of counsel as well. I think that's been pretty clear in the work. So most folks don't recommend marriage counseling. It, it's generally impotent and uh, powerless in cases like this because you have a wrong agenda. You have a marriage-focused solutions trying to address uh, hearts and minds that are broken or are hurting or who are committing acts of violence and aggression. So we wouldn't recommend marriage counseling. So you recommend individual counseling. Well, what does the victim need? Usually needing some kind of trauma-informed, probably um, some aspect of a variety of counseling options. Support groups are great to supplement what's happening in the counseling environment. Um, there needs to be an aspect of core strengthening, to borrow a term from my friend Leslie, where you're actually building up not just the comfort and the confidence and the, the healing that's needed, but you're building up the responsibility um, and the wherewithal and the ability uh, to respond well, to respond in such a way that you know sets boundaries, that protects oneself, that protects others. So there's a lot of complexity in counseling. And, and I come back to this. Biblical counselors may not be able to do everything. And I think we would all agree none of us should be doing everything. But biblical counselors are uniquely positioned to address perpetrators, I believe, because of the system in which we operate, uh, the theology, which is foundational to that system, um, and the agenda that we offer. And so I just kind of want to walk through that. If you're a biblical counselor today, um, I, I want to encourage you. I think there's a unique aspect of this work that you can fall into and do very well uh, with your training and your experience and your skill um, 
it may not be victim work. It may not. That some there are some great biblical counselors who do victim work and victim care. It, it may not be case management. Um, but for my money, many of you have, especially you men that are biblical counselors, have a great deal to offer when it comes to perpetrator work. So I just want to walk through why I think that's the case. And the first thing is because of our primary theological framework. If you are a biblical counselor, if you've kind of come out of any of the BC models over the years, whether it be you know CCEF or ACBC or ABC or IABC or IBCD or any of the acronyms, right? You have been taught at the very foundational level that our primary theological components, those things that undergird everything that we do are the sufficiency of Scripture and progressive sanctification. Now, I can tell you, if, if you're willing to embrace the humility to partner, right, to say, okay, I get it. I'm, I'm counseling from an agenda. I'm working with a perpetrator, somebody that we've acknowledged has been abusive. I'm working alongside a, a godly counselor and advocate who's working with the victim. I'm working under the authority of a local church. I'm going to address the violence. And I'm going to do it from our primary theological um, foundations. Well, what am I calling somebody to? Well, first, I'm calling them back to the Scriptures because I have a high view of Scripture, sufficiency of Scripture. So let me ask you this, listener. How does God view oppression, violence, and injustice? Does the Bible have anything to say about that? Now, I know our danger, the dilemma that many biblical counselors have fallen into is that we have not called people to account to violence, abuse, oppression, and injustice. That's not a problem with the sufficiency of Scripture. That's a problem with the sufficiency of the counselor, that that we haven't really embraced our theological underpinning. But let's say we have, that we really do believe that God takes injustice incredibly seriously, and we have a violator in front of us, somebody who has sinned in such a capacity that it's endangered their wife or their children or other family members through their cruelty, through their destructive behavior, we have the knowledge and the truth and the standard by which to hold them accountable, do we not? We should, of all people in this work, be prepared to hold a high standard uh, in regards to aspects of justice because we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. We believe that... um, God will not be mocked. We believe that a man will reap what he sows. Uh, We believe that um, to deny uh, care and financial support for a family member is worse than an infidel. We believe that uh, the enemy comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but that Jesus comes to bring us life and life more abundantly. We have scriptural basis for holding people accountable and pointing them back to the gospel, we believe that the scriptures are sufficient. And in such, we believe that the agenda is Christ-centered, gospel-centered, not client-centered. So we understand that if we're working with an abusive individual, our agenda is not to ask or see how this individual feels or the direction they want to go. We have a very clear agenda from God, what he expects an individual to do. Which brings me back to the second pillar, right? Progressive sanctification. So that 
our our goal or our counseling will not, should not, I should say, should not settle for cheap repentance and and cheap grace. But we should have a high standard of accountability, responsibility, and progressive sanctification. We expect you to change. You know, I'm not going to be cruel or mean or ugly. I certainly don't want to bully the bully because I'm taught in Galatians 6 that that same passage that said God will not be mocked has called me to restore individuals who sin with gentleness. So in a winsome way, I'm calling you back to the gospel. And biblical counselors are uniquely positioned to do that if, if we are willing to humbly step into the realities that we're dealing with a perpetrator. We're not here to investigate. We're not here to soften. We're not here to help them, um, help this individual feel better about their circumstances. We were brought into this case primarily to bring light into darkness, to bring it in a firm, resolute, unshakable way with a spirit of gentleness and winsomeness that draws someone into the life-changing aspects of the gospel. Because without the gospel, without Jesus, without the realities of the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection, this individual has no hope. And if they have no hope, then the people that they're harming have no hope. We have all that we need for life and godliness, and we're trying to bring that to bear on an individual who has denied that very reality. They may claim to be a Christian, but they continue to live as if they are not. And we have this great opportunity as biblical counselors, especially those of us who are men, to have the thou art the man moment and say, yeah, you did this. You did this. And God is going to hold you accountable for that. And we are going to join him in holding you accountable for that. And people's safety and sanity are at risk. And the realities of heaven and hell are at risk. And your sanctification is at risk. Uh, We can challenge whether an individual is even a believer because we believe in two really basic things. Excuse me. That the scriptures are sufficient, that they can address the problem that that we're dealing with. And we believe in progressive sanctification, that people are expected to grow in holiness. Either through evangelistic efforts, maybe we need to bring, help them, you know, come into the kingdom. But certainly if they claim to be a believer, we can't leave them. They have to be challenged. And so I think biblical counselors, if you're listening in, you are uniquely positioned to do this work. And I'm not saying jump into it. I would love to help train you. I'd love to help equip you on some case wisdom and skill to do a better job. But and you have some weapons at your disposal that could be a tremendous help to the work. Because often, too often, Counselors collude with abusers. They fold to their demands. They themselves are scared or intimidated. Um, they listen um, and, and buy the narrative of minimization, denial, and blame. And I really think we are uniquely positioned to recognize all of that for what it is and to come right back to counseling with an agenda, something that many of us were taught early on, something that some of our friends would reject. But for us, uh, it's it's a primary value system. Scriptures are sufficient. People are expected, if they follow Jesus, they're expected to grow and change. What about this? Repentance is something that we should be familiar with. I actually had this conversation with a group of biblical counselors a few years ago 
we were talking about repentance and the irony was so many of us, so many within that group <clears throat> had a very small view of repentance, that repentance was contrition. And uh, some of the uh, more elder statesmen in the group were actually pulling that rope and helping them see that repentance is not simply sorrow or sadness. In fact, uh, we're told that worldly sorrow brings about death, but godly sorrow uh, brings about repentance. And so there is an aspect of godly sorrow um, that brings about repentance that is so much deeper and than simply, oh, I'm sorry, I got caught, or this feels bad. And we cannot continue to accept mere contrition, like mere feigned contrition or tears over real lasting repentance and change. But we should be familiar with that as biblical counselors. We have the great riches of God's resources to help us point people into um, what it means to repent, how it looks to repent, and what the expectations of repentance are. Here's another tool we have at our disposal. The local church. Is there a more uh, capable, um, you know, kind of ready-to-go system than the local church? Now, I know the local church has failed a lot of people because I think we've been operating out of ignorance in a lot of ways. But the local church can be a wonderful place of support, number one, and two, accountability. That I don't have to counsel in a vacuum. I can counsel within and under the authority of the local church working alongside my elders and church leaders to bring about the accountability and the pressure that's needed to help this person choose repentance. Now, a quick word of warning. Um, elders, if you're listening, you really ought to listen to what your biblical counselors are, are saying, what they're learning. They are the ones who are in the room. They are the ones who are dealing with the problem. We've had a few cases over the years where the biblical counseling team is convinced that they have done everything imaginable and the elders start discipline all over again, uh, almost seemingly ignoring the pleas of the biblical counseling team. No, we should be working in harmony, but within the context of a local church, there's natural forms of accountability, natural forms of support. And again, this all comes back to, excuse me, those pillars that we hang our hat on. So what am I saying? Am I saying that every biblical counselor should engage in perpetrator work? Of course not. Should every biblical counselor jump into domestic violence intervention work? Of course not. But I do believe there are some folks out there, in particular some men, who are just positioned well. You love the Lord. You love his truth. You're full of his Holy Spirit. You're full of the power and the presence of the Spirit. You love your wife. You understand the complexities of the problem now. You've encountered enough of this to know that it's wrong. Uh, And you are positioned well to speak truth into the life of somebody who's believing lies. To address the minimization, denial, and blame. To address the sinful acts of abuse. To address the corrupt perception and worldview of abuse. And to offer a godly alternative. And to settle for nothing less than complete repentance or utter rejection. to to be brave and bold and courageous enough to know that you are not the arbiter of whether someone is successful or safe, but that you are like the farmer in Jesus's story, willing to sow seed everywhere um, and then evaluating the harvest afterwards. That you are 
willing to answer the call that Paul gave in Galatians 6, that you want to restore people, that you want sinful people to repent, but you also understand that consequences are real, that God will not be mocked, that you want to join the local church and the story of the gospel and seeing people redeemed, repentant, changed, and in doing so, seeing victims, women and children, safe. But you also understand that by doing this hard work, you could expose further wickedness. You could expose a desire to be obstinate, to continue to harm. And that's good work too, because now you can begin or continue the process of church discipline. I know not everybody agrees with this, and some of my friends would say that all of us in the biblical counseling movement are doing more harm than good. I disagree. I think there's some great people out there who are doing great work, and some of the work is specifically um, targeted in such a way, developed in such a way, um, that we can make a real difference. And I do think perpetrator work is one of those aspects. Well, whatever tribe you belong to, whatever sphere that we have intersected in, um, know that we appreciate you. We value you being part of the PeaceWorks podcast. Um, we, we love our people from all the different tribes and veins and flavors. Uh, we challenge each other. We certainly uh, attempt to respect each other, but also hold each other accountable. And if you're one of those folks who are from the biblical counseling movement listening in, I believe in you. I'm one of you. And I think we have some unique tools that we can use uh, to help hold perpetrators accountable. And in doing so, make the church the safest place on the planet. Thank you so much for listening to the PeaceWorks podcast. We appreciate you so much. Please rate, review, subscribe. Let the platform you're listening on know that you value the PeaceWorks podcast. Thank you again. Until next time, God bless.